But I, I want to share some good news with you this morning, because I'm going to be speaking out of the Bible, which is what we always speak out of. And I know I, I said this last night, I know there's probably some of you that walked in and were uh, disappointed that Pastor Matt was not here today, and then you saw me get up there and say, well, maybe, maybe we got a, a little bit of a chance, maybe he's just making some announcements. But no, <laughs> no, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm going to stay up here and preach the message. It's not going to be Pastor Matt, but the good news, the good news is Pastor Matt and I both teach out of the same book, and it's the book that contains the power, not the personing up here. So today, I want to share some good news, uh, a little blast of hope uh, for you, a little encouragement for you, or maybe, you know, uh, all this vaccination stuff is in the news, or you can use it in a different way. You can say, maybe this morning is a little vaccine to prevent you from catching all of the negativity that is out in this world, or all of the worldly ways that we're, 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 the people of the world are trying to get us to conform to and live. So you may, well, that sounds real good, and you're, this is, sounds a little just self-help, but I will tell you this, this is self-help, and this is the greatest self-help book, the greatest self-help strategy in the entire world. This is true today. It'll be true tomorrow. It'll be true 100 years from now, just as it was true 2,000 years from now. Because everybody wants a sure thing in life, right? Everybody wants a perfect plan. Everybody wants a roadmap to success. And we look all over the place, and everybody's, everybody's an expert, right? And everybody's a guru in all these things. This is, this is the roadmap. This is it. For any question in your life, for any question I ever deal with in my life, any season of adversity I go through, the answer is found somewhere in this book. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about a phrase that I say a lot. It's a phrase that I say a lot. It's a phrase that I believe is 100% biblical. I believe that it's for each and every one of us if we carry out what's outlined in this Bible. And sometimes you'll even think, well, that doesn't apply to me, or it's just too good to be true. And that phrase I say is, God's best for you is always yet to come. God's best for you is always yet to come. And think of it this way. You believe in God in this place this morning. Most of us do or you wouldn't be here. But do you believe that God really loves you? Do you believe that God really has a purpose for you? Do you, really, do you believe that God really has a plan for you? Do you really believe that God is working behind the scenes in every area of your life? And I say yes to all those questions, but sometimes I live my life and then I think, wait a minute, do I really believe that or do I just say that? Do I just say that God's best for me is really ahead of me or do I live it out? And you could also be thinking, well, you know what, he's going to get to the end and he say, he's going to say, well, that's always true because as Christians, we, we, we spend eternity with him and we're in heaven. And that is right. You would be right. That, that is an accurate statement because as Christians, that is the final reward. But what I'm going to talk about today is God's best for you is yet to come in your physical being today, in your life today. Yes, you're going to, have, you're going to spend eternity in heaven but I'm a believer that I want to have my cake 
and eat it too. I want to get all God has for me in this life while I'm here. I don't know why I think like this. I'll give you, I'll give you another example of, I don't know the best way to say it, like sometimes I'm just a strange guy. <laughs> you know the whole analogy you've heard before that says, uh, is the glass half empty or half full? Right? And if you say half empty, you're like, boy, you're Debbie Downer, aren't you? But if you say, oh, the glass is half full, you're like, man, that guy is so upbeat all the time. He's so positive. He, th- he always thinks the glass is half full. I- this is a little hard to explain sometimes, but me, I look at that, and I think both of those are wrong. Both of those are wrong. The cup is designed to be full. It's designed to be full. When is the last time you've ever went out to eat and the waiter, every time he came to your, to your table, he filled, he filled your glass halfway? Now, what would you be thinking? You'd be thinking, that, that dude's got a problem, right? At the very least, you'd be thinking, boy, that, that's strange. Now, I know what you don't think if that would happen. You don't think, man, this is so exciting. This place is awesome. Every time this guy comes, he fills up my cup halfway. You would never say that, right? But yet, we come to this Christian life with all these promises, and you know what we do or what we say? We say, you know what? My life is just okay. I have about half of the promises in this book, and I am so excited about it. That went over like a lead balloon. (laughs) But if you have all of these promises afforded to you, don't you want all of them? My, my life, like that glass of water, my life isn't meant to be. I'm going to be half of whatever Mike Lemp has, has in store for him. I, God, I know you have a great plan for my life, and I'm going to do about half of it. And I'm going to say, man, isn't this so exciting? I'm doing about half of what you called me to do. So this morning, sorry, I got a little excited. So this morning, I'm going to try to convince you through Scripture and biblically that God's best for you is always yet to come. And I'll give you a couple, or one actually, example that hits close to home. My father-in-law passed away three weeks ago. He was married to my mother-in-law, who's still alive and is here today, for 54 years. Now, If you're my mother-in-law, your life has radically changed, right? The rest of your life, the rest of her life will be radically different. But do you think that we serve a God that's going to tell her that, you know what, your best days are, are behind her? That's not what this book says. What this book says is even though she's having, she's in a season of adversity and a season of mourning, that God's best for her is still yet to come. My mom. I just my, my mom, my, my dad died when he was 50 years old. My mom was 49 at the time. Today, I just asked my mom this because I just remembered it for some reason. Today would have been their 51st wedding anniversary. So if you go back all those years, and my mom's remarried and happy and has had wonderful things, what if, what if? 25 years, 24 years ago, whatever the, what if my mom said, you know what, 
At 49, what if she said, you know what? The best of my life is over. Just think if she ever did that. Just think how many blessings my mom would have missed out on if she believed that her best days were behind her. And I could use example after example after example. But all I know is we serve a God that his best is always yet to come in our life, no matter what you're currently facing. Amen? Amen. So this morning, I'm going to talk about that, and I didn't really plan on this, but I knew I was preaching today, and a couple weeks ago, my wife asked me a question. She said, you know that statement you always say, that God's best for you is always yet to come? Where do you get that from? And she didn't really say it like that. She wasn't like questioning. <laughs> and I said, and I said, I can't remember exactly what I said. I said something like, you know, I don't know where, I, maybe I heard it, or I don't think I came up with it. It's just, but it's true. And she said, I know, but what is, what, what's scripture? And at first I was like, just, just pick one. Just pick one, right? Because I always say, I say, you, if, you're not, if you're confused of what to do in your life or, or a Bible to, or, a, or a verse to stand on, just pick one and you can create a life off of one verse. That's how powerful it is. But I was like, you know, just, just I said, John 10, 10, Jeremiah 29, 11. There's all kinds of them. But then I thought to myself, well, I should probably be able to explain myself a little better if I truly believe that statement. And then I thought more, and I thought, yeah, I look back at my life, and I'm more of a, um, I guess a, a planner. I don't know if a planner is the right way to say it. I, but more, more this way, that I'm just a person, I think I've always been, I, I know what I want. I know what I want. When I see something, I know that I want it. So, and I'm a planner, so if, okay, I, I have a plan for my marriage, I have a plan of how I'm going to be a dad, I have a plan for my career, I have a plan for my ministry, I have a plan for retirement, you know, not that I'm retiring or anything, but all these things. And I have a great plan, because who wouldn't craft a great plan for themselves, right? You don't plan a terrible plan. But I look back at all these things I've planned out for my life. There were awesome things. And I reflect back on all those things, my marriage my kids, my career, and then, I th and then I think of what God has done in all of those things, and I think, holy cow, God has totally blown away my little bitty average half-filled water cup plan. He's outdone what I thought was good for me every single time. My daughter, who graduates from college on Tuesday, yeah, I know, my wife's old, isn't she? <laughs> she graduates from college on Tuesday, and she, already, she's, uh, she had a double major in math and um, secondary education, so she got a job already as a high school math teacher at the school where she wants to teach at, where she, went, where she did her school, high school years. But she was going through this process, she was going through this process, and she actually had three job offers, but the, the one where she wanted didn't come till the end. And the job that she has now is the perfect job at the perfect place with the perfect people, and it turns out making, I mean, a teacher's not going to get rich, right? But, but in this instance, making more than she would have ever dreamed of just because of, she had numerous schools trying to get her, and it just worked out. God just, God Blessed her tremendously, let's just say. But what I explained to Brooke after the fact, 
And I told her, I was just like, can you see what God just did? If, you, if I would ask you four years ago when you were a freshman in college, you line up your perfect job and your perfect situation from when you, from when you graduate. You'd have all these things, and God just doubled it. God did way more than you could even dream of. And he does that for my daughter. He does that for me. He does that for all of you. He's no respecter of persons. So what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to give you three ways, I guess. I guess I would say three ways or three things that I try to do in my life to where that I can always be walking in an atmosphere where God's best is always yet to come. And this is also an answer to my wife's question, where do you get this from? Number one, first things first. First things first. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Matthew 6.33. What's interesting, the verses preceding this, the Bible talks about all about do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not stress. Do not worry about what you eat, what you're going to drink. And what's so interesting is this is a great example of something that was applicable way back when, when these words were written. Do you think, do not worry, do not stress? Do you think that's applicable now? I think so. I think so. How many of us deal with worry, stress, anxiety, fear? We all do. And you know what? In my opinion, that is the greatest tactic the enemy has over us. The enemy doesn't have to stop you from doing anything. All he has to do is plant a little seed of worry and a little seed of doubt, and you will take it from there. All he has to do is crack my mind a little bit with a little bit of fear, a little bit of stress, a little bit of anxiousness. I'll take it from there. Unless I get back into the word and seek God's first, seek God's word first. 631, Matthew 631. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Because what happens is we get distracted. That little piece of worry that gets in the mind, then our focus is on that thing and off of Jesus. Or maybe a simpler way to say it is we're then consumed by that, and then we walk around doing things, and we act as if God doesn't exist. Or better yet, maybe we're really spiritual, and we think God does exist, and, God, and I think that maybe for my own life that God's working in everybody else, but for some reason he's not working in my life. That for some reason he's too busy with everybody else's purpose and everybody else's plan that he's not concerned about mine. Here's what I mean when I say living a life of seeking God and first things first. I mean, it's, how would I say this for you not to take it the wrong way? It, it's not... Reading your Bible is great, obviously one of the most impactful things you do. What I'm, I'm not saying, you need, to, you need to spend 24 hours a day in this book. When I say first things first and seeking Christ, here's what I mean. I mean it's, you're saying to God, God, I am inviting you 
into my life. God, I am giving you the opportunity to move in my life. God, I'm giving you the opportunity and the invitation to speak to me directly, and I will walk those things out. God, I am giving you permission that as I go along my day, and it might be a random Sunday afternoon where I'm cutting the grass, doing yard work, going out to eat, spending time with the family, whatever you're going to do this afternoon, it's God, I'm giving you the opportunity to show up in my life, to be a part of my life, to direct my steps. I believe living like this, it's the pathway of miracles. Everybody wants miracles in our life, right? We want great things. We want to experience Jesus. Well, we have to constantly, continually, and consistently invite him to be a part of our life. We don't just go to God when we're in a time of adversity or in a time of celebration, giving him thanksgiving. We go to God every single day, every single moment. This is a lifestyle we need to live. And sometimes we get confused because we say, we say, or we come to a moment like this, and maybe you're being receptive, and you're thinking, man, okay, well, what's, what's my calling? What's my purpose? We've all asked ourselves those questions, right? What's my calling? What's my purpose? And in some ways, it's the wrong question. Because the right question is, what is his calling for my life? What is his purpose for my life? Some of us, and, and we're trying to be great Christians. I'm not saying we're not. And I can even talk to myself. I'm, I'm walking around saying, what's, what's the plan for my life? What's the purpose? Well, sometimes it gets fuzzy and it gets muddy because I'm asking the wrong person. I'm asking myself. I'm not asking my creator, my heavenly father, who has already planned it out for me. That's who I need to be asking. And we do this by turning to his word. Because when we turn to this word, this all-powerful, impactful word, we start to understand more of who he is. We're setting an atmosphere. That's what we're doing. We're setting an atmosphere for our lives. We're starting to understand who he is. We're able to recognize when he speaks to us, whether it's verbally or a thought or just a sense, something down deep where you know that's God. That's what we get when we're into the word. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according that is that according to all that is written in it. For then, everybody say for then. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. When we turn to the word. We create an atmosphere where we're giving God an opportunity to work in our lives. And sometimes we're waiting for him to scream at us, right? 
And we hear our other Christian friends say, man, this is what God told me. And that's true. But sometimes when we hear a friend or a mentor say, God, this is what God told me, we think that, man, that, that, that guy really has an awesome relationship because God was screaming at him and giving him direction. Probably not the case. It was probably built off of years and months and days of spending time with Jesus Christ because most of the time, in my experience, it's in that still, small voice. 1 Kings 19, verse 11. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. That still, small voice, that's what's going to speak to us. You know, life happens, life happens when you least expect it. Life is happening to you right now. And what happens when life happens to us, we start to get worried, we start to stress, we start to be anxious, we start to try to take the reins ourselves. And then what happens in those times of stressful periods? We, we don't hear the still, small voice. We don't see God trying to show us things. We're looking for the loud bang. We're looking for the earthquake. We're looking to come into church on a Sunday and somebody give us a prophetic word so we know exactly what to do. Now, I'm not saying that might not, that might not happen. It might happen. But it's not going to happen every day. It's not going to happen every time you need it. But when we seek God first and we get into this word, that, that will happen every day. That will happen every time you need it. Right, right on time with the perfect word. Somebody asked me the other day, I was in a meeting, and it wasn't a spiritual meeting, it was just a kind of a business meeting, I guess, and, and they had said, out of the blue, they had said, well, they had said, they were just at this leadership something or other, and they said, the guy had asked them this question, so this man was asking the question to a few people in the meeting, and they said, what kind of person are you? Because there's two types of people in this world. There's planners, and there's opportunists, and you're either one or the other. And I was like, well, I'm not real sure. For the purposes of this meeting, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but I will say, for my life, I'm a planner. I get in this word, and I know what I want, and I know what... Hopefully God's telling me to do. So that when I see something come my way as an opportunity, I know whether it's an opportunity or not. I know whether it's God or not. 
Here's my point. When you live like this, when you go to God for everything, there's going to be lots of things coming your way. Lots of good opportunities. And sometimes when life happens in those, life happens when you least expect it, you don't have time to get to church on Sunday because it's Monday. You don't have time to call Pastor Guy and say, hey, can you sing me your best worship song right now? But what you do have time for is to go to God in a split second and this daily relationship you built up with him. And when these things come your way, you will know what's God and you will know what's not. And some of these, these things that are not, they may be great things. They may be great opportunities, let's say. But they're not your specific call or purpose that God has in store for you. Amen? I'll give you an example with my wife. I got the exact same reaction last night, and I said, this is not a joke. This is not, I don't know why you think I'm always picking on my wife or something. I mean, if I was going to pick on somebody, I'd pick on Pastor Matt because it's just too easy. But, but I'm a, I see Matt's dad shaking his head, oh yeah. Like I said, I'm a planner. Like, my dad used to always say, why don't you have a little more fun? You're like a 15-year-old guy trapped in a, you know, 55-year-old body or whatever. That's just who I am. You know, I'm, I am having fun. I'm just, I guess, was on the serious side. But like, even for like, if I was 18, or even probably 16, if you'd asked me, hey, what do you want to do with your life? You want to be a doctor, a lawyer, a police officer, a fireman? I'd be like, no, no, not really. I don't really care. What do you want to do? I want to be a husband, and I want to be a dad. That's just the way God created me. So I had a plan for that, and I kind of knew what I wanted. So when I, so when I saw my wife the first time, something about it, I don't even know what it was, something about it was, that's it. She's it. Now, and you could say, you could say, well, you already asked me a question, well, how did you know? And I know this is a terrible answer. I don't really have anything like real romantic or real anything, but you say, how do you know? My, and my answer is, I don't really know. I just knew. I just knew. And I think when we're walking with Christ as he wants us to walk with us and have this relationship where he does his job and we do our job, when things come across, you'll just know. I've done lots of things in my life that didn't make sense. I mean, kind of. Not anything bad, but like, like when I left the brewery, Anheuser-Busch, to, to go work at a church. Didn't make sense. Didn't make sense to the outside world. Probably didn't make much sense to my mom. At the time, it probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to me other than I just knew God had called me to do it. And this is, not, this is never easy. So there's a little bad news here this morning. I said good news. I kind of lied. It was a little wet lie, <laughs> white lie. 1 Corinthians 16.9, for a great and effective door has opened for me, and there are many adversaries. No matter what you do, no matter what God's called you to do, as you're walking through that and walking through that open door, there will always be adversaries. But you also have to understand that God is always working behind the scenes in your life to those who follow him. 
Number two. So sorry, that was long. That was first things first, seek first. Number two, do what he tells you to do. I know this sounds stupidly simple, and it is stupidly simple. Do what he tells you to do. As great as number one is, it sounds great, and it is. Let me tell you, and I'm telling you this from experience, life is about execution. Life is about execution. Please, life is not about what you know. Life is about what you do or what you do with what you know. Now, please don't take this out of context, but this Bible is the most powerful book with the most powerful words in it known to man. I can know everything in here. I can know from Genesis to Revelation, I can know what to do. If I don't do it, it doesn't help me. This doesn't really contain power in my own personal life until I put these words into action. My wife, I can stand up here all day long and tell you how much I love my wife. It doesn't matter to her until I show her with my actions, my words, and deeds. Same thing with my kids. My kids, I can stand up, up here all day long and tell you how much I love my kids. It doesn't matter to them until I show them with my words, actions, deeds, in my life how much I love them. Life is about execution. John, John chapter 2. This will prove my point or give you instruction from a better source than myself. John chapter 2. This is the first miracle. Jesus turns water into wine. It's one of my favorite stories of all the Bible because it's so stupidly simple that even I can understand it. I don't need Pastor Matt to explain it to me. I can figure <laughs> it out by myself. Pastor Matt would confuse me anyway and give me work to do. So... But I also believe that this scripture right here is the secret to getting your miracle in your life. Verse 1, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, and please don't miss this. If you have a Bible app, highlight it. If you have a Bible, circle it. If you don't, write it down. Remember it. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. How many times, and I'll speak to myself, how many times in my life, have I gone to God with a question or something I needed an answer to, and he told me to do it, and I didn't do it? Many times. We all do it. But it's that simple phrase, no matter what you're facing today, verse 5, whatever he says to you, do it. 
But again, that's going to be based off of that day in, day out, consistent relationship with him. I'm a busy guy. We're a busy family. I have lots of things going on. And in the winter, I also coach high school basketball. And then in spring right now, I coach high school baseball. And Christy will ask me from time to time, when are you going to stop doing that? And my son, Jack, the other day asked me, too, he said, when are you going to stop doing that, Dad? They don't, like, really want me to stop, I don't think. But, no, I'm kidding. But, you know, I was just curious. And I was like, again, I'm a planner, so I kind of try to plan that. But really, the answer is, and I always tell them, I don't know. But what I do know is God will tell me to. God will tell me to. And it's okay to plan. Like I said, I'm a planner, but I, I, I plan more on an Etch-A-Sketch nowadays. You know, like the little Etch-A-Sketch thing with the uh, old toys? I'm dating myself here. You drew a little picture, and then you didn't like it, and you shake it all up. Well, sometimes I feel well, that's my life, right? I've got, a, I've got a plan, and then God intervenes, or I, I ask God to intervene, and we shake it all up, and we start over. God will tell you what that next step is. But it's about simple obedience to him and his word, his direction, and his wisdom for your life. And don't, don't fool yourself and say, you know what? I've got a great life. I'm doing some good things. I've got this good relationship with God. You know, uh, I, I don't want to do anything too risky or get out there on too much of a limb. So there are certain things that God has asked me to do or told me to do that I haven't done yet because they're too big or I just, it's too much of a risk. Let me, I'll, I'll give you a little warning from Scripture that there is a price to pay if God is, has a purpose for you and a plan for you and you don't, don't take action on it or you don't do it his way. There's a, there's a remarkable story in the book of Numbers chapter 20. And this is Moses and Aaron in their promised land. And the people they're leading are getting disgruntled. They're getting tired. You know, they're saying things like, we should have just stayed where we were and just died there. What's the point of making this journey to a so-called promised land? We're going to die anyway. And now they think they're dying of thirst because there's, there's no water. So I'm going to pick up the story in verse 7. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring forth for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, "Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock?" Now I'm going to stop right there. Moses the great leader he is, he's getting tired. He's getting stressed. He's getting worn out. He's getting anxious. He probably just wants God to do it for him so they have entry into the land. So he somehow in this verse, he changes his tune and he says, must we? What I'm concluding is the we is now Moses and Aaron. He's somehow in this confused state of stress, that he's going to take the reins himself. I've trusted God long enough. Now Aaron and I are going to get water from this rock. Now Aaron and I 
are going to lead the people as we think is best. Verse 11. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Sounds great, right? He wasn't listening. He wasn't being obedient. God did not tell him to strike the rock with a rod. God told him to speak to the rock. God told him very simply, speak to the rock and water will come out. Moses hit the rock not once, but twice. Here's the price to pay. Verse 12, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me to hollow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Because Moses didn't believe and he didn't act on what God had told him to do, he was denied entrance into the promised land. Just think, what are those things that maybe God has told us in the past that we didn't do, that it's preventing us from God's best in our lives? And I don't say that we're not looking for perfection. We're, we're more, in this, in this example, we're looking for wisdom, right? So that when God shows up the next time, we maybe have a biblical understanding. I'm going to do what God has called me to do because I know that's going to bring me into God's best for my life. And you can say, hey, sometimes this is, this is risky, and it is. You know, with my career path, you know, I, I have people that I, I still have friends at the brewery that I worked with years ago, and they say, man, you're crazy. You, you, you've done all this crazy stuff. You're such a risk taker. And I'm like, hey, I, I am. The last person in the world that's a risk taker is not me. When you see risk taker and the definition, the definition of risk taker in the dictionary, it says, not Mike Lamps. That's what it says. I like peace. I like calm. I like security. I like things in order. I like, I like control. I just like everything vanilla. I, just, I mean, I, I know. My, my kids are always like, Dad, you're so boring. If it weren't for Mom, you probably wouldn't do anything. They're, they're probably right. But when you're following God's word, words, direction, these things on the outside, they do appear to be risky. Hey, Pastor Guy knows, I mean, coming to work with Pastor Matt every day, that's risky. That's risky. But my point is, when you're doing those things, following Christ, they may appear risky to the outside world, but let me tell you, I walk in, I walk in calm. I walk in peace. I walk in security. Because I know I'm doing my best to follow God's plan for my life. Number three, last one. Sorry, I'm trying to hurry up. <clears throat> Number three, <clears throat> serve people. When all else fails, when all else fails, serve people. Yeah, but you don't know what he or she did to me. Serve them. You don't know what happened, serve them. You don't know my situation, serve them. You don't know the adversity I'm in, serve people. This is the greatest example that we can follow of Jesus. 
He was the ultimate servant. I mean, and we can say in one way that he came for signs, wonders, and miracles, and that's true. But if you look at, I don't have time to get there now, but if you look at Luke 19.10, that proves what his mission was, was to serve people and to bring people to salvation. That was his ultimate goal, serve people. We do want to experience his power, and we will. But when all else fails, serve people. I, you know, years ago, I was around a, it was, there's nothing wrong with these people, so I don't mean this derogatory, but there was always this little group of people who I would call super spiritual in our church, and they'd walk in all the time. Miracle signs and wonders. Miracle signs and wonders. Miracle signs and wonders. Miracle signs and wonders. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but here's the deal. You want to see miracle signs and wonders? Don't just come to church looking for them. You want miracle signs and wonders? The fastest way to see miracles, signs, and wonders is to serve people. Serve God's kingdom. If you are a servant, and if you act with a servant's heart, you will always be taken care of. If you're serving God's people, and I'm not, don't confuse, I'm not talking about serving or volunteering in the church. I'm, living, I'm talking about living a life of servanthood. If you serve God's kingdom, you will always be taken care of. I believe this is the primary call of the church. If you look at just my life and the roles that I play in my life, I'm a husband, my job is to serve. I'm a dad, my job is to serve my kids. I'm a coach, my job is to serve those student athletes. My job as a pastor is to serve the church. My job to, as a on staff pastor with Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie, my job is to serve Pastor Matt and Katie. Any role that I'll have in the future, and I would argue any role that you have right now, your job there is in some essence, in some contexts, is to serve. That's the way God created us. That's the way he's, he's devised this awesome plan of his. Our job is to serve. One little Mike Lemp point, this is just, this just a, I don't even know, what would you call it? Maybe a pet peeve of mine. He calls it a soapbox. That's a, derog <laughs> that's a derogatory term. But sometimes, Mike Lemp opinion, we as Christians, we have lots of things that we try to stand for, right? And we should. And we should stand, we should stand for these promises with strength, with conviction, with boldness, with courage. But here's what I would say while you're doing that. This is my opinion. A servant is always a uniter. A servant is never a divider. You can stand for what you believe in. You can stand for everything in this book. But while you're doing it, you are never a divider. You can always stand on your points with strength and love. And don't get me wrong. It's like the line that says, don't, don't confuse my weakness. I'm sorry, don't confuse my kindness with weakness. That should, as a Christian, that should almost be a line we use when we're talking to people all the time. It's maybe a debate between right and wrong. Don't confuse 
my kindness with weakness. Because as we're delivering this message to people, you can be strong, you can be bold, you can be courageous, you can be outspoken, you can be a warrior, but you are always a uniter because that's the way Jesus instructs us to do. We can always get our point across in love. Amen? Amen. So, in closing, Pastor Guy, you can come up. Can you imagine? I think about this. When I think about my life and things that I even talk about here, I always, I always go back to this. Can I imagine a life where I did that? So in this sense today, can I imagine a life for Mike Lemp where I seek first his kingdom? I do what he tells me to do. And I serve people. Can you imagine if just a small number of people in this church, in this room today, if we lived our life like that? If everything that we did, everything that we walked out, we sought his kingdom, we did what he said, and we served people. Last scripture I'll share with you. Deuteronomy 30, 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, therefore, choose life. The most important, I think the most important part of all this, what I've talked about today, and to me, the most exciting part, and I hope to you is the most exciting part, is that all that I talk about today, it's up for you to make that decision. It's up for you to make that decision. Life is about this, this awesome relationship we have with Christ, where he does his job and we do our job. And we come together and we do it together. That's where the power resides. And I know that when we, when we live that way, when we seek God, we do what he says, we serve people, God's best is always yet to come. And here's, I guess the best way to say it is here's, here's why it's so exciting to me. And here's why I say the decision is ours. Because when I say we have to do our job, God does his job, God has already done his job. And you know what God chooses every time? He chooses you. And he chooses me. And then I screw up, and he chooses me. And then I don't listen, and he chooses me. And then I screw up again, and he chooses me. And then you do the same thing, and he chooses you. And then you screw up again, and he chooses you. And I don't know what your situation is, but you can fill in the blank with whatever you have going on or whatever your own personal stumbling block is for you. You can throw it all out there, and I'm going to give you the same answer. Yep, I heard you. And you know who God chose again? God chose you. 
Let's stand and worship as we leave. The prodigals come home. The helpless find hope. The lovers on the moon. When the father's in the room. Prison doors fling wide. The dead come to life. Lovers on the moon. When the father's in the room. Come on. Miracles take place. The cynical find faith. Love is breaking through when the father's in the room. Yeah. Miracle walls are quaking. Strongholds now are shaking. Love is breaking through. today with joy, knowing that God's best is always yet to come. Take that with you today. Let it be your testimony. Let it be your words of encouragement. And use that today. You're dismissed, and we love you.